Hey guys, welcome to the Real Life Podcast, where we talk about exactly that every single week. Real life. Which means some episodes might be about a fight we just had, some episodes might be about potty training since we have two toddlers, and some might be about eschatological realism because I love thinking and talking about deep theological things. And maybe we'll talk about all three of those in one episode. But we hope the show feels like hanging out in our living room with us, drinking a cup of coffee as we discuss faith and family and culture and Jesus. Me and my lovely wife, Alyssa, are your hosts, and don't hesitate to hit us up or reach out on social media to say hi or comment on this week's episode. Enjoy. What's up, guys? Jeff here. So I got some good news and bad news for today. Bad news, Alyssa is not here. Um, And also, I don't know if this is bad news or neutral news, uh, but this is the first time I think we've been late on uploading a podcast in like years. So thank you for the grace. I was in Australia upside down with time zones. I was basically time traveling. If you don't, if you've never been to Australia, it's 20 hours ahead of Hawaii time. So it's crazy. We left, I left the plane ride back. We left Wednesday night at 7 PM from Sydney, got home at Wednesday, 11 AM. So I went back eight hours in time. I lived Wednesday twice. How crazy is that? Good news I'm going to do something really, really, really special today, and that is read while also kind of adding little nuggets and anecdotes of uh, my intro and first chapter of my book, To Hell With The Hustle. Now, I don't know if I'm going to get through the whole first chapter. I'm just going to kind of read for 20-ish minutes, and we'll see where we're at. But if you didn't see and you follow on Instagram, a couple days ago, I got to finally announce, oh my goodness, this is like the hardest thing about being an author is you work on a book for two out two years, and you don't necessarily have to super hide it. But I just don't want to be talking about it for two years. So I usually kind of wait till it's like finished and there's a cover and there's a title. So that's usually a couple months before the book comes out. So this book comes out in October. Finally got the green light on everything. Everything's all lined up. We have a cover, which if you have not seen the cover, go to Amazon right now. I am so stoked on how this cover came out. I think it's beautiful and so cool. And then the title, you guys, the title is To Hell With The Hustle. I'm not looking at it right now, but I think the subtitle is like Reclaiming your life in an overspent, overworked, overconnected world. How sick is that title, right? How sick is that title? Now, fun anecdote, Alyssa thought of that title. Alyssa, we're sitting on the couch, we're brainstorming, and little sweet, tender Alyssa in her voice says, hey, what about To Hell With The Hustle? And I just said, that is it. I bowed to her, I kissed her, I said, this is amazing, this is it. But then you can imagine, in Christian publishing that book, that title took a few conversations. But, as we'll see in a second, in the intro, I mean it pretty literally. Um, and it's a very serious title. So, um, guys, I'm excited. So what I'm going to do is I'm gonna do this. If you didn't see, we announced it's available. You can pre-order it now. It comes out October 15th. I'm so, so, so excited. I wanted to give you guys a preview. You can also, what I'm about to read to you, the reason I'm reading this is because you can also read it for free. So if you go to jeffandalyssa.com slash free chapter, jeffandalyssa.com slash free chapter, You can read and get your own PDF of what I'm about to read, but you're not going to get all the nuggets, right? So if you've already read it, I thought this would be really cool because then you're going to also hear kind of give you some background and some stuff like that. So I guess without further ado, we'll just jump into it, right? And it's a little early and I like my asthma is activated. Can I just be honest with you guys? Uh, So if I'm like a little short of breath and wheezing, then that's why. That's why. Um, Okay. Intro called A Time to Resist. Now, first fun fact like, and I'm, that I just said intro, I, I, I was, this might be weird. So tweet me or let me know on Instagram if this is weird or if you're like this too. I was adamant about with the publisher, not having a section that says introduction because me, I read a lot of books. I love books. I don't like introductions. I skip them. 
meaning I think they're a little unnecessary and a little superfluous. Not all, well, not always. I'm just saying like I think most people make superfluous introductions, if that makes sense. Now this one, of course, because I'm biased and it's me writing it, I didn't think it was superfluous. I really want people to read it, but I was really, we almost called it chapter zero because I just, I think psychologically when a lot of people say introduction, they skip over it and I didn't want them to skip this. So we, that's a little first fun fact. We didn't want to call it introduction. We called it a time to resist. So just going to jump into it and I will start reading. Here it goes. A time to resist. We were both on the couch and she was crying. Then all of a sudden I heard, you should have married someone else. I stood there and I started pacing saying, are you serious right now? Which is a question that has never helped a single marital situation since the dawn of humanity. (laughs) Am I right? It's a tough thing to hear your wife say she wishes you had married someone else. And it's even tougher when for a second you think she might be right. We wouldn't be in this situation if I had but I didn't want to marry anyone else. I believed and still believe Alyssa is God's gift to me and a physical representation of God's grace in my life. In that moment though, it sure felt like life would have been easier if I had married someone a little bit more like me. Why did she have to be so different? Nonetheless, here we were married four years, two-year-old and an infant sleeping in the other room and feeling like our lives were burdening us and weighing us down. Over and over again, we'd be facing the same issue. When it came to making decisions about work and future commitments, we'd clash. This was exacerbated by both of us being depleted and overwhelmed most of the time. We were parenting toddlers, being self-employed, and still needing to feed ourselves three times a day, and that felt like more than enough to keep track of without deep, recurring marital conflict thrown into the mix. But here was the crux of it. When I'm overwhelmed, burned out, and tired, my default position is, let's go, let's do it, while Lissa's is, let's stop. So at those times, I don't tend to give anything thoughtful consideration because I'm running on empty and I'm too exhausted for decision-making. So I just say yes. When Alyssa is the opposite, when she's burning out, she gets anxious and to avoid feeling crushed or overwhelmed, she automatically says no to any new demands. So for the first few years of our marriage, I felt like she was just holding me back and she felt like I was bulldozing her with all my ideas and dreams and my fast pace without me thinking about it critically and thoughtfully. I felt confused because I thought we were doing everything we were supposed to be doing. We got married, we were having kids, we got jobs, and we worked hard. All the seemingly appropriate cultural milestones done at the culturally appropriate times, like married at 23, had kids at 25, had jobs that were meaningful and enjoyable by 22, and were homeowners by 25. We went to church every single week, we read our Bibles and prayed, and we were doing all the right things, but we sure didn't feel like we were. Instead, we were experiencing, instead of experiencing fulfillment and happiness, we were tired, wired, anxious, and on edge. Why did it feel like what we thought we were supposed to be doing was the very thing that was actually causing us this disillusionment? It's as if we were trying to build a life on the moon. If you've seen that famous video of Neil Armstrong landing on the moon, you know that when you are on the moon, you're ungrounded. There's no gravity holding you down. You kind of just float around. And the danger is if you aren't tethered to anything, you just float off into space indefinitely. And I think we as humans aren't meant to float in space. We're meant to live with our feet on the ground, so to speak, to be attached, to be connected to something that can anchor us in the dirt. But because of unrealistic expectations, most of us are building our lives and families on the moon and we're floating off into space without realizing it. After only a decade or two of living up to these cultural expectations, many of us turn around and finally realize we can't find the meaning we thought we were striving for. We've been hustling, but hustling towards an empty grave lifeless, less human because we're busier, more frantic, more disconnected and lonelier than ever. But what if hustle is actually what got us to this point? What if it's not the solution, but the problem? What if hustle is a contagion that seems to be flowing through our veins 
with guys this is what happens when it's not the audiobook this is just me on a podcast i like slip up and now you know by the way if you listen to a podcast or an audiobook i mean how many times the engineer has you go back and change things or redo it because you slip over your words but this is our podcast way less professional it's called the real life podcast for a reason so your boy ain't gonna redo that okay but what if there's a contagion throwing through our veins and settle under the surface ways sooner or later we'll see symptoms in fact i think we are starting to but Let's back up. Within the last hundred years or so, we have made incredible strides in production and labor-saving devices. And at first, the breakthroughs were so enormous that people couldn't envision what we would do with all the free time we would be creating for ourselves. Economist John Keane said in 1915, for the first time since his creation, man will be faced with his real and his permanent problem, and that is how to occupy the leisure. <laughs> it's just funny to read that in our culture because you know that was way off base, and that's what I talk about. Am I the only one who will say that my main problem in life is not how to occupy the leisure? In fact, I like to say, what leisure? Keynes was vastly wrong. That's not what happened. As Derek Thompson notes, which by the way, if you don't read Derek Thompson, he's a journalist for The Atlantic, hands down one of my favorite uh, journalists out there. And I would actually say he's one of the only kind of must reads, meaning when he writes something, I read it every single article. So as Derek Thompson notes, in an article highlighting these developments, one large change no one saw coming was how work itself and our view of it evolved. Work jumped from being a means of material production to being much more about identity production. In other words, work used to be about making things. Then all of a sudden, work was about making us. We began to view our work as our reason for living and our purpose. A recent Gallup poll concluded that very thing. Like all employees, millennials care about their income. But for this generation, a job is about more than a paycheck. It's about a purpose. When our work becomes who we are and we derive our ultimate value and meaning from it, it runs the risk of becoming our God, the thing we worship, bow down to, become slaves of. And that's what they didn't foresee 100 years ago, that we would actually find our very center and being in the hustle itself. We find it while we're busy finding, quote, our passion, while we're trying to life hack our way through life, while leaving or bucking off anything that is uncomfortable, unpalatable, or unenjoyable because the hustle and our passion should never feel that way, right? Because when something is our God, we will give our all for it. We will sacrifice everything. I mean, it's no coincidence that Americans, quote, work longer hours, have shorter vacations, get less unemployment, in unemployment, disability and retirement benefits, and retire later than any other people in comparable rich societies, says Samuel P. Huntington. <clears throat> and a recently Pew Research report on the epidemic of youth anxiety noted that 97%, oh, sorry, no, 95%, and I say, yes, you read that right, virtually every single young person who participated in this study said that, quote, having a job or career they would enjoy, can enjoy, would be extremely or very important, important to them as an adult. It is the very thing we are all running towards to give us meaning, to give us life, to tell us that we matter. Not to mention, this is even more pronounced by the impossibly high standards we set for our dreams and our goals and our work now in the internet age. Every person in my generation, which is millennials, is expected to not only have a job, but also have one that is cool, fulfilling, and reflects well on us. As Ann Peterson noted in her brilliant recent piece titled called How Millennials Became the Burnout Generation, we think we need to find employment that reflects well on our parents and that's also impressive to our peers and that fulfills us personally. But Peterson continues, the problem with the thinking is your dream job is out there, so never stop hustling, and it's that that's a blueprint for spiritual and physical exhaustion. 
It seems others are seeing the same thing. Hustle is being put on notice as it should be. The research is clear. Seven in 10 millennials would say they are currently experiencing some level of burnout. 54% of millennials would say we are chronically lonely and say that we always or sometimes feel that no one knows us well. 30% of millennials and Gen Zers currently say they experience disruptive anxiety or depression. The pressure is too much. It's unrealistic and it's hurting us. We are paralyzed while trying to keep up. So I say to hell with being anxious, lonely, and burned out. This isn't God's design. We are meant to flourish by the spirit of God under the reign and rule of our King Jesus. Now, does this mean we will never be anxious, that we'll never be lonely, never be tired? Of course not. But we are children of the King and we are more than conquerors and we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So do we believe at least a little that our lives would actually change if we fully embrace those truths and let them have an actual weight on our lives? I think so. And that's what this book's for. This isn't just our personal anxieties, it's also our culture and our generation at large. It's as if millions of us are on a treadmill, believing we're going somewhere when we're actually going nowhere. All that work, all that energy, all that effort, yet we're running for nothing, staying in the same place. Even worse, it feels like someone is pushing the up arrow on the treadmill constantly, so we have to run faster and faster just to stay on. Yet I think it's a treadmill none of us want to be on. Something about our culture has hypnotized us. It's alluring and it sucks us into this vortex with its immense influence. It's not unlike the story of the frog in the water. If you put a frog in water that is already boiling, it'll jump right out from the sheer pain and the collision of senses. But if you put a frog in water at room temperature, then steadily raise the heat one degree at a time until it is boiling, the frog will slowly but eventually die. Our culture, us, I think we're that frog right now thinking, hmm, this is nice and cozy, but the heat has been climbing. This book is me saying, wait a minute, it's starting to get a little warm in here, don't you think? The values and pace of our culture, the speed at which it is moving, and the demands and pressures we all collectively feel, and the ethos of hustle injected into us all at birth, it's boiling us alive. But we don't notice it because it has happened steadily over the last century. So it's time to stop and consider the cost of all of this hustle, all of the speed, all of this disillusionment. And just like most antidotes, I think a better way forward comes in administering the very opposite of the disease. See, we're slowly crushing our souls with noise, fame, work, and tribalism. And we're living in our own private hells that are dragging us down spiritually, emotionally, and physically. So I say to hell with the hustle. And I mean that in two ways. To hell with it, meaning literally, I'm done. Full stop, we can defiantly say no to where this is all headed. And two, I also truly mean to hell with it. Jesus was never in a hurry. Jesus was the fully human one. He was the prototype of all humanity. And I think we can pretty easily see that he was someone who actively was resisting cultural pressures on many levels. Hustle is not of Jesus. And if hustle isn't him, then there's only one other place it could come from. Hell, the curse, the source of death. And I'm realizing that only those who are anchored in a richer and deeper and more meaningful experience than the one our culture is currently offering won't get sucked away. So what is this book about? It's about the disease, but it's also mainly about the cure. It's about silence. It's about obscurity. It's about rest. It's about empathy. The things that make us deeply and profoundly human. And we do well to hold on to them during a time when no one else is because in truth, I'm over it. I'm over us being statistically the most anxious and depressed generation in history. I'm over friends by the dozen struggling to find any sense of purpose or meaning. 
that's lasting and fulfilling. I'm over people destroying their lives, relationships, and marriages on the altar of working themselves to death. And I'm over simply living in a society where franticness and a tornado of the soul are the norms. So what you're reading right now is me putting my fist in the air and saying, no, I'm done. I will not take one step further down this path. I refuse to glorify and elevate the grind, the hashtag no sleep movement, the noise, and the commodification of our personhood through these little rectangular devices in our pockets called phones. Who's with me? Hey guys, Jeff here. I want to take a quick break to tell you about one of this week's sponsors, and that is Zola. You guys know we love Zola. They're the wedding company that'll do anything for love and they're reinventing the wedding planning and registry experience to make the happiest moment in couples' lives even happier. Now, I don't know about you guys, but um, if you don't know, Zola is really, really awesome and what they basically do is they help you kind of plan your big day with a bunch of different tools and resources. Now, you can join over 500,000 couples who have used Zola. They take the stress out of the wedding planning um, timeframe with free wedding websites, your wedding registry, and affordable save the dates invitations and a ton more. Uh, you can even start today with a free wedding website. They have over a hundred beautiful website designs and templates, and they make it easy to personalize your favorite design with all your wedding details. And you can also register on there. Their store has the widest selection of gifts, all different price points um, for something for every guest to give. And what I really love <clears throat> is you can put all your details on there and make it easy for guests as well. And you can even create a fund for your honeymoon, future home, new puppy, anything you want like that. And you can register for, register for gift cards as well with some of your favorite brands. So I absolutely love them and they're incredible. So to start your free wedding website and also get $50 off your wedding registry on Zola, go to Zola.com slash Jeff and Alyssa. That's Z-O-L-A.com slash Jeff and Alyssa. Well, that was fun. Guys, that was only the intro. And I was actually going to stop and give a couple more notes here and there um, and then start reading the first chapter. But I just realized the intro took me 15 minutes, which means... The whole book would take me like over an hour. So maybe I'll save those chunks for the future. But, um, oh man, guys, I don't know if you could tell, but I'm in my office reading this and I'm getting pumped. It's, it, <coughs> it's really fun. I don't know if you guys can tell from the title or from my tone, but there's some books that you write or there's some messages that get put in you that you feel like you're just going to burst. And this is one of them. Oh man, I just feel so, I just feel this message in my bones. Um, and I'm just so excited for you guys. And to give you some context, it was probably three, four years ago. I mean, as you heard in the beginning of the intro that, yeah, I think I, it's sad, but I think we, a lot of us have to come to a collision first before we're really, really willing to step into God's design of wisdom. And I wonder why that always is. Like a lot of us don't tend to just read the scriptures and understand the way of Jesus and say, Oh yeah, that sounds great. Um, a lot of us have to tend to see it as almost the solve to our disease. We have to see it as almost the healing to our metaphorical cancer. Um, and man, that's the hope of this book. That's the hope of this book. Another way I put it uh, uh, that I think hopefully is helpful for you guys uh, is when I posted about it on Instagram, which first, by the way, I just wanted to say thanks, man. I was almost, I honestly was tearing up you guys like last week when I posted the book because you never know. You work on something for two years. And you just never know, like, is it going to resonate or are people just going to kind of eh, not care? Um, and I tend to not super care about that stuff, but there's just so much work that goes into a book. Um, and then kind of, it has to fit in on such a small little, you know, post type of thing to see if people are interested. And man, you guys blew me away. Uh, just statistically, that was actually one of my best Instagramming 
Instagram posts I've ever posted. And not that that matters, but what I think show, that shows to me is, man, like that's because real people, like the reason it was the biggest post is because of real people commented on it and we're excited about it. So I just wanted to let you guys know that blew me away and I am beyond, beyond, beyond thankful. Oh, and man, it was such a treat. Um, but another way I'm explaining this book and I kind of was in, com- it was fun to con- converse with you guys. So by the way, you can hop back, just go like three posts back on my Instagram. You'll see the book cover um, if you're listening to this. And there were some really fun conversations in there. So uh, feel free to go hop in there. But one one that I was kind of realizing or talking to about people is, as I've come to think about this book and talk to you guys about it, what I'm realizing the problem is, is I and hopefully that I want this book to solve for us, is that I think, and what I've been wrestling through, is I think a lot of us concentrate a lot or almost all of our energy in the Christian walk and the Christian life on the words of Jesus or the truths of Jesus, or another way to put it is like the facts of Jesus, right? This is what it means to be a Christian. This is the thing you need to obey. And this is the rule to kind of lean into Jesus. Now, those are important. Those are deeply important, but I don't think they're the full story. Another way to put it is I think we concentrate too much on the rules of Jesus and we don't concentrate on the way of Jesus. And what I mean by that is we can have the right Christian rules. We can have the right Christian walk, but we can be doing it in an American Western idolatrous way. We can be doing it in a frantic way, a busy way, an anxious way. And there's something about Jesus's cadence, Jesus's demeanor, where he doesn't want us to just learn from his teaching. He literally wants us to learn from his pace. And that's something that's been really profoundly impactful to me the last couple of years is that Jesus himself has a pace. He has a cadence about him. He has a dance about him. He has a music that he's playing that he's asking us to dance into rhythmically. And it goes against our design as image bearers when we don't step into that. There is an actual right cadence, right? And that doesn't just mean, you know, do nothing, right? No, no. Jesus at some, because here, and I talk about this in the book later, but Jesus at some level was really busy, but he, we of course know that he wasn't busy. Do you know what I mean? So Jesus lived an intentional life there. His schedule was full, but that was because, but he couldn't do that first until his life was full. His heart was full. His prayer times were secured. He was open to interruption, right? But I would not say that he had a soul of interruption. And so there's, uh, or he was very focused. So there's, there's this dance about it, but I think that's like layer 10 that so many of us aren't even ready to go to. Our first layer is man, slowing down and understanding that Jesus has a cadence. Jesus has a way it's called the way. Can we say that we're following the way? Can we say that there's like an actual drum beat to, 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 right? There's a cadence about how Jesus walks. I think there's even some, I, I talk about it in the book. Um, there's a guy who kind of coined this term, I think uh, three miles per hour. Cause that's the, that Jesus, uh, that there's a speed that Jesus walks at and it's three miles per hour um, because that's the average walking speed. Um, when you're slow and when you're rested and when you're non-anxious, you walk at three miles per hour. That's the average. And so he just talks about, man, you have to get into that three mile per hour cadence with Jesus. <clears throat> um, and that's what this book's for, man. And so, yeah, I'd love to hear what your thoughts are even on the intro. And if you want to read the rest of the, 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 there's a whole first chapter. So triple that time, you know, if you want an hour's worth of content, go to jeffandalyssa.com slash free chapter. Uh, and you can get that free chapter right now. Thomas Nelson was, Thomas Nelson was gracious enough to let you guys have that. I talk about the difference between formations and goals. And if you already have read it, I'd love to hear your thoughts. So excited. 
Um, and if this resonated with you, go ahead and pre-order. Uh, it's on Amazon or Barnes and Noble, um, Christian book retailers. You can find it anywhere for pre-order um, and uh, 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 and screen capture and send me a message if you do. I'd love to say thanks and love to say I appreciate it. We'll be doing some pre-order gifts coming soon. And so if you pre-order it now, you'll still retroactively be able to get those when you announce those. And so make sure to get that now, get your receipt all saved and I'll announce that soon. But um, so excited, so grateful for the support and I might pop back in later to also read some future parts. Um, but, and, and let me know if you think it's fun too, to kind of read it and add some commentary. Cause I really, really like doing that. So have a good day and love you guys. Bye.